0: Welcome to Episode 1 of the Princeton Podcast. My name is Kenneth Greenberg, and I am the producer of the Princeton Podcast. I am also a resident of Princeton since moving here in 1980 with my wife, Mary. We both work here in Princeton. We have raised our family here in Princeton. We feel very fortunate to live in this culturally and historically rich community we call home. And since our community is also home to so many remarkable Princetonians, it is my goal to include as many as possible on the Princeton Podcast. That's why I've invited our mayor, Mark Frieda, to host our podcast. Not only do I consider Mark Frieda to be a remarkable Princetonian, but he has a lifetime of experiences and relationships here in Princeton that will help him become a remarkable host of the Princeton Podcast. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mayor Mark Frieda, in this premiere episode of the Princeton Podcast. Mayor Mark Frieda, thank you for taking the time to record this premiere episode with me of the Princeton Podcast. This is a brand new idea. We can take it in any number of ways, but I'm very excited that you agreed to be the host of the Princeton Podcast because as mayor, you have interactions with all sorts of important municipal leaders that I think people in Princeton would really like to get to know more of in the way that you know them by attending meetings and having histories with them. And you also ran for the position of mayor on the idea of having transparency and open communication in the government. So this would be a great vehicle to help people learn about that. And participate in that. So maybe my first question to you would be, what does transparency and open communication within municipal government mean, and why is it important to you?
1: Sure. So, Ken, first of all, thank you very much for letting me be the host of the Princeton podcast. Uh, It's an honor, so I appreciate that. Uh, But open and honest government, I feel local government, which is what we're involved in, right? It's the municipal level. Uh, It's town government. It's where most people will interact directly with government. It's so easy to stop by town hall or see the mayor or any elected official shopping at, the, at McCaffrey's or shopping uptown or anywhere and stop and say, hey, I got a question or a concern. Um, but I think the open and transparent part that I pushed a lot and really firmly believe in is that everyone that lives in town. Should really know what I'm thinking, what all the elected officials are thinking on any topic at any time, and it should be really simple for them to find that out. Again, whether they see us face to face, whether we get an email or text message, or they're watching the council meetings, uh, you know, remotely, and they get to hear us say whatever the whatever our opinions and thoughts are on whatever the topic is at the moment. Uh, I think it's really important that. That everyone that lives in town knows what we're thinking, where we're going, why we're going there. Uh, and, And I feel, as an elected official, I should never be overly cautious or concerned about sharing what I truly believe on any topic with anyone in town. And the reason I shouldn't be afraid of that is that I really want to encourage people to tell me what they really think. And the only way to do that is we both have to be, both parties in those conversations have to be honest with each other. I tell you what I think, you tell me what you think. And if we agree, okay, that's nice. But if we don't agree, why don't we agree? What do you know that I don't know? What have you thought of that I haven't thought of? And I need to learn from that. And then maybe I'm going to change my opinion, or maybe I'm going to amend where I'm going. So anyway, all that 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 culture of being open, transparent, and honest is critical to good government. And how do you keep that from being
0: complete chaos? It's been my experience, having lived in this wonderful town since 1980, that it is filled with extraordinarily intelligent and extraordinarily opinionated people. People who have thought things through deeply and whose beliefs and opinions are very strongly held and often profusely uh, defended. So when you have to help orchestrate large group of people to make things work, how does that open communication work when you have lots of opinions? How do you distill that down into action?
1: So let's, let me use the example of a, of a council meeting. The mayor runs the council meetings. So it's a balancing act. You want to make sure that you encourage and allow people to say what they think. But there's a line in that, okay, Somebody got up, said what they thought. We usually have a, there's a three minute limit. You usually only talk once because there's so many people on many items that want to talk. It's only fair. You can't let someone tie up the conversation for 45 minutes. And then the other people have either gone to sleep or drifted away because they figure they'll never get a chance to speak. So all this is about balance. So you want to try to get as many people as possible to tell you what they think. You want to acknowledge what they said. You need to understand that you don't, really want to necessarily debate people on every point they bring up because the whole exercise of public comment during a meeting is to get as much public public comment as possible. So for the elected officials it's hard, but it's a best practice I would say to not debate every person as they make their points. If they only have 3 minutes, let them do all the talking. When they're done, thank you very much. There's more people that want to speak. Let's get to the other speakers. Now, sometimes you might want to, somebody says something that's either so critical or whatever that you, somebody thinks they need to engage. Then again, the mayor needs to try to corral that, so to speak, because then you could get off on a tangent, you get sidetracked, you never get back to the original discussion or worse off, there's still another 10 people waiting to talk. Now you've taken the conversation in a different direction and when they want to talk about what the original topic was people are like well why are you talking about that. So anyway, it's all it's it's juggling and balance. Try to get the public input is always critical. The elected officials need to hear from as many members of the public as possible. So you need to allow them to speak, say what they think, acknowledge it. And I've always found you know, so I know I've only been mayor for 8 months. But When there were two Princetons, I was on the Princeton Borough Council for 13 years. So I've been in a lot of council meetings. And I've interacted with many, many people that live in this town or used to live in this town. And the vast majority of people have always said to me, Mark, whether we agreed or disagreed, the fact that you listened, and I know that you actually listened, you considered what I had to say, and what I had to say was part of your decision process. Even if you didn't come out where I hoped you would, the fact that you did all that, that shows me that where we're going as a town is going in the right direction. So that's, that's the goal. Listen to people, consider what they said, seriously consider what they said. And again, no, no false sense of pride should be held by any elected official that in a, in a council meeting, even if there's 200 people on Zoom or 100 people in the physical room, if you need to say... Ken, thanks. I never knew blah, blah, blah. I need to change my mind. You need to be willing to do that. It's not a big deal. So anyway. Yes, that's very good
0: clarification on how that happens. And the fact that you've had the experience that you've had even before Princeton was consolidated, maybe that could be my next question, a more personal question in terms of you're a lifelong resident here in Princeton. That, I think, is intriguing. I'm sure a lot of people find that uh, to be interesting. What does that mean to you? I mean, how how does that play into what you're doing now? So, uh, first of all, I
1: think there's fewer and fewer people over time that can say, hey, I've lived here all my life. The town has changed a lot. It's a more expensive. Well, the whole area is more expensive. It's not just Princeton. It's the entire area. It's harder to own a property. It's harder to pay the taxes. It's harder to stay here. So having said that, um, I do think that someone that has lived here their entire life probably has, not probably, but does have a different perspective than someone that's lived here five years or 10 years. So you have an appreciation of what used to exist. And as long as you don't fall into the trap of, oh, geez, I wish I could still hang on to 1960s Princeton, right? That's impossible. So don't, don't think that. But but knowing what the town used to be, how it's evolved over years, how it's changed, those are all perspectives that are important to bring into a whole number of conversations. The other thing is that if you've been here your entire life, you have institutional knowledge that newer residents just don't have. They don't know things that we've been through before. Or maybe they don't know that, gee, on Pine Street, there's a little pocket park and we once spent X number of dollars to save that park or, or whatever. Or the half basketball court in uh, Quarry Park is there because when we built affordable housing on Hamilton Avenue, part of the, the, the compromise with the neighborhood at that time, when there was a basketball court where the affordable housing is now, well, we needed to move the basketball court. But where we wanted to move the basketball court, the residents next to it were like, we don't want a full-size basketball court. So at the end of the day, we negotiated, we'll put in a half basketball court. People aren't going to understand. They don't know those things. And maybe that's not the best example, but there's a whole bunch of examples like that where you understand why things are the way they are. And when someone says, why did this come about? You might have the recollection as to, well, here's why. And here's why we should have knowledge of it and why it might want to be considered as part of whatever the current discussion is so anyway i just think there's a lot of pluses having some number of elected officials that have been in town their entire life
0: i know that one of the huge things that makes princeton unique is the balance between the town of princeton or the small city the village of princeton and the university of princeton from your lifelong perspective Do you think the relationship between the town and the university has changed, or how has it changed over time? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure it has
1: changed. Uh, uh, You know, it's interesting that if you read the history of the town, um, several people that lived in the town actually got together and provided money, land. And at that time, in the 1700s, it was important to provide wood, Uh, and we did. (laughs) To get the university, then the college of it started as the College of New Jersey, yep. to actually set up shop here in Princeton, as opposed to going to they, they were they were going looking at New Brunswick and I forget where else, but anyway, mm-hmm. there were two or three sites in the state that they were looking at. So the town invited what became Princeton University to become part of Princeton. So you know Princeton University, the College of New Jersey then. Princeton University has become a phenomenal institution. It's amazing what it offers, the reputation it has, just justifiably. Uh, and so, people that don't know the history think, "Oh, I guess this university has always been here, and the town grew up around it." When I mean, it's just the opposite. Yeah, the town was here. Granted, it wasn't very big in the 1700s, but both the university and the town have grown together. Uh, So, it's a unique relationship. It's a relationship that both sides should be willing to work hard at fostering the goodwill between the two. There's a lot of goodwill between the two. But, you know, reality is reality. Some of the goals of the university are not always going to align with some of the goals of the town and vice versa. So, you need to have open communication. You need to understand that that's going to happen. And it's okay to have frank, blunt discussions about where are you going? Where are we going? And how do we just, again, balance all this so that it makes sense? I mean, the university right now is in the middle of a $5.5 billion expansion, adding two residential colleges, adding more students. It's amazing what the university is about to do. At the same time, the town, due to a recent court order decision, is adding all kinds of housing, It's going to be a mixture of market rate and affordable housing. That's going to drastically change the town. So there's all these changes happening. And the only thing that we all know that's consistent is change. So either you hide behind the rock and hope that change doesn't run you over, or you get out from behind that rock and say, let me be part of the change and let's manage it as best we can. So it's a long way to say the university and the town should be working together every day. Yeah, yeah
0: and are there regular meetings that happen between the town and the university or is it more topic based
1: or issue based right so there will be uh quarterly meetings between the administration of the town and the administration of the university but day to day any number of our staff are talking to staff at the university they just have so many things going on Uh, even without this large expansion i just talked about but you know i mean i think anyone that's been in town for any length of time understands that the university might be doing any amount of renovation or catch up work every summer when typically there's not that many students there so there's permits there's inspections there's this there's that but also you know you look at all the universities involved in in the town the university helps and supports so many nonprofits so many charities the university has so many capabilities they have so many people there that are That have ingrained themselves into the community, whether they live here or not. So, you know, there's interaction between on all kinds of levels between the university and the town every day, multiple times. Yeah. 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 Well, let me shift the conversation,
0: if we could, to the podcast itself. As host of the first season, let's call it, of the Princeton Podcast. Who do you think would make for a good guest or good guests? You have some people in mind that you would like to invite on the podcast?
1: I I think there's going to be so many potential people to invite that if we wanted to invite them all, we'd be doing this every day, which obviously is not going to happen. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Thank you. (laughs) But, you know, the new municipal administrator obviously is one. He's brand new. He just started. Let's talk to him. What does an administrator do? We could bring in the police chief. We could bring in um, our director of emergency services. There's... Six council people, six elected officials that all, you know, have different thoughts, different goals. We could bring all of them in. They could talk on any number of topics because they're all involved in many, many aspects of how the town is run. So a lot of interest, interesting topics there to pick from. Um, the chief financial officer of the town, the town engineer, the new school superintendent. There's another natural pick. Yeah, that, that would be huge.
0: And since we're now being threatened by the variant,
1: still in COVID, the, the health officer. Bring our, bring our health officer, Jeff Grosser, back. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I. I, I, I That's great. That's, yeah. Well, I think over time, Ken, right? What we need to balance is what are timely, timely topics and what are just general interest things that people want to know. Like, you know, the town collects a lot of money from me. Where does it go? Mm-hmm. No, well, most mm-hmm. of it's not staying here; it's going somewhere else. Oh. But you'll have to listen to a future podcast to find out that detail, right? Yeah, but there's, I mean, right. so there's there's all kinds of of potential there. So I, mean, you know, there, yeah, the, the list is, to me, because as you said earlier, Princeton has so many interesting, smart people, people that are involved in so many different things. Uh, you know, I, I I think Princeton might have more nonprofits and charities than the vast majority of towns. For the population yeah, that, you know, that a lot of, that. of places have. I mean, look at all of those. How many of those could we bring the director or chief executive officer in to discuss? So anyway, Good point. the list is almost without limit. Right.
0: And you and I have talked about a tempo, a schedule, and it seems like it would be best for us to, um, to publish the uh, Princeton podcast twice a month. And I was thinking that the second and fourth Thursday of every month would make sense. It's easy to remember Thursday's a great day for releasing a podcast, so as long as you can keep up with that
1: schedule, Mr. Mayor, we're good to go. Sure, Ken, that's a great schedule. I'm all in. Yeah, more often might be great, but I, but yeah, but, but with your schedule and my schedule, realistically, yeah, we got to be realistic. and you know let's see how people react to it also. <laughs> that's true.: That's <laughs> true.
0: This is a brand new adventure that you're going to be joining us on, so yeah. and, and <laughs> if and you I think, like it, tell
1: your friends, yeah, tell everyone, please. <laughs> But one thing you had mentioned, Ken, also is that once we start and people hopefully listen, uh, you know, we should get feedback. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to react to feedback to listen to feedback. So that's not a problem. You're an easygoing guy. So, you know, I think the people that listen to our podcast will help shape what it is we're going to do going forward.
0: Yeah, I hope so. That'll be great. And I would like to remind everyone that there are two websites that will be important. The first one for this particular episode is Mayor Mark Frieda has a website called mayormarkfrieda.com. So it's a sort of a recap of the campaign, but but more importantly, I think it's a great place for you to get a more detailed background on our mayor. And also then the podcast will have a website, the princetonpodcast.com website, so I think with that, we, we, we should just probably wrap up this initial episode where we were hoping that people would get to know a little bit about you and to learn a little bit about what you're thinking in terms of where we could go with this podcast. And I'm so happy you agreed to do this. Do you have any other thoughts or words of wisdom you would like to leave us with, Mr. Mayor?
1: Ken, just to thank you once again for coming up with the idea, allowing me to be part of it. And again, to people that listen, give us your feedback. Terrific. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this
0: premiere episode of the Princeton Podcast, produced by the podcast production team at HG Media, providing audio and video production services here in Princeton since 1999. If you enjoyed this episode of the Princeton Podcast, please share it with your friends. Visit our website at princetonpodcast.com and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.